The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, so happy to welcome you to the first episode of Season 6. It only seemed fitting, listeners, given a new year and a new Congress, to lead off this season with someone who can prognosticate for us on what's ahead legislatively for the upcoming year. Alex Flint needs no introduction, but in case you're new to the show, this former staff director of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee and former senior vice president of governmental affairs at the Nuclear Energy Institute is now the executive director of the Alliance for Market Solutions, one of our allies in the um, battle to see a carbon tax implemented in the United States. He's got his finger on the pulse of all congressional activity and is just a great strategic thinker. I'm so excited, listen to share my conversation with him. So stay tuned. Alex Flint is coming up next. Listeners, welcome back. I'm so excited to have a repeat guest, Alex Flint, big friend of RepublicEn.org. Alex, it's great to see you. Good morning. Happy New Year. I think we can still say that. Oh, I'm I'm happy. I'm optimistic. I'm a cup half full sort of person. I think there's tremendous potential at the beginning of every Congress. Yeah, I'm all in. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show, because not only is it a new year, but it's a new Congress. It's a divided Congress, which can sometimes be interested, interesting. You and I both coming from that Senate background, um, you know, having a little check and balance sometimes can be good for the nation. So I'm just curious, like, what are you looking for? Um, what are you looking to ha- see happen? What are you optimistic about um, congressionally this year? Well, I stayed up like a lot of congressional nerds did way into the night watching the the speaker's election. Oh, same. I haven't watched C-SPAN so much since I had a TV on my desk in the Senate. Well, I think what was revealed, and it was great that the cameras were actually able to pan around to where the key discussions were, but what you saw was the very human element of congressional deals. I mean, mm-hmm. I, when I worked on in, in the Senate, we I was there for a lot of negotiations. We, When there was disagreements, we'd step into the library or the back room and we'd have those conversations. But I've seen those expressions on people's faces where there's disagreement and there's conflict and there's frustration, but then eventually there's working towards a deal. And, and as a nation, we got to see that play out live. And it was, for me, it was fantastic. I think it was just tremendous. Now, it is also very interesting to contemplate the implications of what we observed. In the speaker's race, a small group of Republicans were the determiners. Um, they are the ones I like Speaker Boehner's uh, characterization of them as the chaos caucus. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who sort of uh, are the modern versions of, of the sentiment Ronald Reagan expressed when he said government is not the solution. Government is the problem. And, and so they think government is the problem. And so they're comfortable with chaos and the government failing to function. I, I really think they're comfortable with that. Um, I'm of the. Uh, the governance version of the Republican Party, which supports a small but effective government. And there's a conflict there. 
And there's different factions within the House Republicans. All members have the same vote, one vote. All have the same opportunity to assert leverage. We're going to have to see which ones exercise that right in the House. And and there's so many different scenarios that could unfold this year. That's why it's fascinating. I mean, this really is an uncertain and uh, particularly interesting Congress to watch. It's sort of like watching history unfold, right? And and like you, I felt watching those um, vote after vote after vote and seeing the emotion, seeing the passion, and as you said, the frustration. You're right. It was like pulling the curtain back because most people don't get to see that. And as you know, former negotiators, you're right. You have your little sidebar in the hall or you're, even if you're scribbling a note to each other, all of that is lost. American people never see that part of the the process. And so um, it was really interesting to watch. And I'm curious to see what what this new Congress is going to hold. Um, looking back, you know, a few years ago, um, uh, Speaker McCarthy, when he was not speaker, had um, deputized some members of the caucus to take on different um, incremental approaches to climate change. So not necessarily the kind of more bold price on carbon thinking that um Alliance for Market Solutions and Republic EN are, are pursuing, but, you know, bites at the apple. Do you think that he, that those folks will just be unleashed now to go and, and pursue their priorities? Do you think any of those bills have a shot at, at kind of getting through the process? I'm thinking like Trillion Trees Act, um, that kind of um, stuff. So I think Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy several years ago recognized the political imperative of changing the party, the Republican Party's position on climate change. I, I think he particularly responded to some of the polling that showed that younger, college-educated, particularly women voters in swing districts cared about climate change. And I think he saw the political imperative to change the party's uh, ideology on climate change. He opened the door. And... Certain members like John Curtis and Garrett Graves and others walked through that door and the party's position as a whole has now changed from denialism to acknowledgement of climate change. My view is that the party does not yet have an agreed position about the response to climate change. Mm -hmm. There are some proposals out there that are sort of this melee of competing ideas, um, most of which I think have inadequate ambition. So I don't, I mean, there there are no proposals, almost regardless of party out there, that I think are adequate responses to the scale of climate change. But there is a very different conversation underway than there was four years ago. And and we shouldn't forget that. Yeah. And I'm looking at this Congress that there, there's a there's a, a a pessimistic view that in a divided Congress, particularly after the Democrats just got their big victories on IRA and other spending things, that there's not the pressure to do a, a subsequent climate deal. Mm-hmm. Probably correct. On the other hand, two years of not being forced to vote on cl- big climate packages, but for the thinking and the policies to continue to evolve may be a productive opportunity mm-hmm. to sort of take a take a some time, breathe a sigh of relief that we're past denialism, we're acknowledging the problem. Now we have to figure out the solutions on mitigation, on adaptation, our relationship with our trading partners. I mean, there's a huge set of things that have to be sorted through. 
But we now have people who are actually spending time on this and it's not defensive, it's constructive. Well, and, and you actually just said something that made my um, the bells ring in my head about trading partners. I think if I'm looking ahead and I have to guess that something climate or climate adjacent happens, that the um, Carter border adjustment mechanism definitely has to be on the table and is something with bipartisan support. Yeah. So well, I mean, my my philosophy about this and part of the reason that I'm comfortable, even given the lack of adequate progress on climate, is I think over the long run, economics and science will prevail over politics on climate change. I mean, I, I, I think the economics is fairly straightforward. I think the science is fairly straightforward. To the extent politics is out of step with it, I think politics is going to be forced to change to be aligned with the economics and the science. Um, on the economics, I think increasingly entities, global trading partners are going to impose costs on the externality of emissions they, as a result, will impose carbon order adjustment-related mechanisms. Those costs will start becoming real on trade. And frankly, the United States would be foolish not to engage in bilateral negotiations over border adjustment mechanisms that then drive the necessity of having our own domestic price on carbon. I mean, that to me is just the the way that economics prevails over politics over the long hand. Like there's a con- there's an economic consequence of what is happening. It is going to become manifest and the politics is just going to have to deal with it. It's just a question of time. I mean, the thing that I love too about the, um, about the carbon border adjustment is that it really bring, it's an answer to those policymakers who don't want the U S to, to do something that will be economically harmful at the, um, you know, to the to the benefit of China and India. So you and I both have heard that argument for years, right? We can't act until China and India are acting, but having that border adjustment and obviously the price on carbon that justifies us having that border adjustment is going to push other nations to act. So it's a way to exert leadership that to me isn't it isn't as scary, I don't think, as putting a cap on carbon and imposing a trading mechanism and um some of the the past policy mechanisms that have been on the table. Yeah, a carbon border adjustment mechanism is good policy. And I think almost all technocrats agree on that. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes observe politicians um, co-mingling the concept of a carbon border adjustment mechanism really with populist protectionist trade tariffs, mm-hmm. which I think is a, 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 a evidence that we as a country have not yet figured out our China policy. I mean, we, on the one hand, love cheap goods from China. On the other hand, don't like losing jobs. We are concerned about their global political and military ambitions. There needs, I mean, there are a lot of time and attention needs to be focused on the U.S. relationship with China and with our allies in the Pacific and I suppose around the world at this point. Um, A carbon border adjustment mechanism to me is an economic a component of that relationship, but it's not, it shouldn't be a, a, a club in that relationship. It, it's simply, it's a, an economic tool. It's necessary for us to trade and value low carbon economies. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So shifting to another sort of buzz, um, buzzwordy uh, policy mechanism that we're hearing a lot about in the news right now, um, permitting reform. Yeah. Do you think so? Obviously, 
um, the mansion plan um, didn't happen at the end of last year, but it does seem like there's a lot of talk and a lot of momentum to want to do something on permitting reform. What do you, what does your crystal ball say about that? Oh, I think it's one of the ripest issues for some sort of constructive bipartisan agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to transform our energy infrastructure, which means we need to build a lot more infrastructure. We'll benefit because some of it is aging. Um, which means we have a whole set of diverse interests, some of which have good relations on the right, some of which have good relations on the left, all of which want to see permitting reform. I think as a result of that, it is possible to envision very constructive bipartisan permitting reform. But on the other hand, I also think it has to be a much more complex version of what Senator Manchin proposed. So we need to open up the Endangered Species Act. We need to open up uh, the, the NEPA and all of the other governing acts. And we need to put together a cohesive set of st- a statute and regulations that govern the construction of infrastructure. Those laws are, would, legislation on those would be referred to different committees of jurisdiction. I don't see the mechanisms in place for the committees to consider that legislation, put together a cohesive package in a bipartisan constructive fashion. So, I mean, my idea is that this is something that requires some sort of expedited legislative process, sort of like we do fast track trade negotiating authority, or we did the base realignment and closure commission thing. I think it would be a fascinating opportunity for Congress to pass legislation to authorize the administration to make a specific proposal for permitting comprehensive proposal to Congress to, to Congress for an up or down vote in the House or the Senate. That's the that's the only path I currently see the necessarily large comprehensive package being put together and considered in this uh, divided Congress. I think it's a tremendous opportunity because I think the politics of the right and the left are mixing and moving on this issue. And it could be a, a wonderful opportunity for bipartisanship. But we have to understand that the legislative process right now is probably not going to work if we try to do it under normal order. And by the way, I'm a fan of regular order. So oh, it's sure. quite, quite, a, quite a statement for me to be suggesting something else. Right. For a former staff director to say, no, my committee doesn't need to <laughs> take its jurisdiction on this. Administration can do it. I totally um, hear where you're coming from. And for listeners that aren't familiar, haven't maybe watched I'm Just a Bill for a long time. Um, when a bill is introduced, it's referred to a committee of jurisdiction. That committee holds hearings. They um, negotiate the two sides. And often a bill can be referred to more than one committee, as Alex just referred. And um, that can be nightmarish. There could be, it just takes one committee, right? You could have eight committees of, jur- of jurisdiction. Seven could report the bill out and that one committee doesn't act and um, it can throw a wrench in the whole process. So um, elevating um, is an idea that I hadn't heard. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I wish Bob were on this in this conversation because he is hot for permitting reform right now. And I think he'd be really um, interested in w- your approach. Look, the, the crazy thing from a strategic perspective, it, it is remarkable that right now we sort of have this national consensus that we need to rebuild our energy infrastructure. Um, we have such a burdensome regulatory environment that the private sector is reluctant to invest enough capital. So we end up subsidizing it with taxpayer dollars. So w- what we're doing as a government is we're imposing very strict, frequently inconsistent regulations, and we are overcoming them by taking taxpayer dollars and providing subsidies to try to just en- enrich the process enough to make it worth overcoming the regulations. And I sit back and I just think, oh my goodness, <laughs> we, we could do this so much better if we just change the regulations, 
wouldn't necessitate so much subsidies. I, of course, am a fan of, of imposing costs on the externalities rather than subsidizing. But, yes. but like there is there is a much more enlightened way to do this. Uh, I could actually see your head exploding when you were just <laughs> describing all of that. Um, well, from your mouth to the ears of Congress and the White House. And, you know, I feel like um, President Biden should be incentivized to want to make the IRA bill work, right? Like a lot of big portions of that bill aren't going to work if we don't do what you just said, which is fix the permitting process. And yeah. And recognize like yesterday, the country hit its debt limit, right? And at 30, it's $31 trillion something. Um, You know, I'm profoundly concerned about the long-term impact of, of uh, our fiscal trajectory. And I, I want to see us address climate change. I just don't think our focus can be on spending our way out of this problem. Right. We have to come up with better approaches. And that means we've got to make it simpler to build the stuff we want. And we can't keep subsidizing at the rate we have been. Alex, is there any incoming lawmaker who you have your eye on as a potential advocate for some of the work you're doing? Oh, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm, you know, as a carbon tax advocate, you're looking for a couple of things. You're you're looking for leadership, and by that I mean the leaders in the House and the Senate mm-hmm. to decide that climate is a high enough priority that they are going to let legislation develop and commit to move it through the process. That you, you have to have that high level commitment for then other members on the committees to engage, thinking that their work is going to be productive. You then have to have members on key committees in a carbon tax space, Senate Finance and Ways and Means Committee, who will participate constructively in putting deals together and yet insist on certain things. I mean, there's always that element, right? Um, and so actually just in the process of going through, looking at some of these new members on, on House Ways and Means and thinking, who are the ones that can constructively insist on good climate policy in the tax space. And, you know, look, there's there's reason to be worried that my Republican friends are trending towards being populist, anti-tax people. Like, there's not a lot of really... Uh, the, the, the tax conversation in this country among the politicians is really hard right now because fundamentally... Whether you like it or not, the country takes in about a trillion dollars a year less in taxes than it spends. Yeah. And there needs to be some reckoning between the rate at which we're spending money and the amount of money we take in in taxes. And I wish in the way in which we took in taxes, like I, I think taxes on income and earnings are a terrible idea, fundamentally terrible idea. They create a disincentive for earnings and, 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 and work. Uh, I think we should be ta- putting more taxes on the consumption side of the equation and a carbon tax simply is a consumption tax that has a climate benefit. Um, But any sort of tax reform discussion can be so easily demonized that what we're really looking for are people who over the next several years are going to appreciate the scale of our tax code problem and engage with new thinking about how to raise revenue and address other problems Every new Congress, we go through this process of sitting down, talking to people. And the thing is, it's got to be a conversation. It's not the public conversation. It's the private conversation. It's the how open are they to creative thinking? How much do they feel the burden of government to have a responsible tax code and responsible climate policy instead of thinking that tax is just something that they can demagogue off of? So um, it's, you know, it's jail. 
January. It's very early, but we're starting to have those conversations and hopefully something will evolve. It just comes down to leadership, right? You can't be scared of the T word and demagogue on it. As you said, it has to be a thoughtful process. And I love this idea of shifting away from um, taxing income to taxing consumption makes so much more sense to me. And then you really are paying for what you use, right? You're paying yeah, for what you're you also use. incentivizing people to save. I mean, you know, look, you know, you know, you know, my bumper sticker about the carbon tax is if we get one, don't pay it, right? Don't right. pay. The <laughs> like that's, that's my bumper sticker. Don't yeah. pay the carbon tax. Uh, that, what, what one wants is a tax code that encourages the behavior that's in our collective interest. It should encourage work. Yeah. It should encourage employment. It should discourage pollution. Mm-hmm. It should encourage savings. Um, consumption taxes encourage savings, yeah. which then causes there to be capital that can be invested, that can that seeks to earn a return so that you get more investment in the economy. So yeah, I, I, economists clearly do not run our country. Um, but I was just going to say, you're really underscoring what you said earlier about the um, economics and the science needing to prevail over the politics. Well, and they do in the long term, right? Like around the world, we have seen countries implement political systems in defiance of economics in particular, and those countries fail over time. Yeah. I mean, this is just what happens. Um, they will prevail. Economics and science will prevail over the long run. The real question is, what are we doing in the meantime? Alex, I think that's a great note to end on. Economics and science will prevail. I'm with you. And also, I'm an optimistic person. So here's to a great 2023 and um, continuing to have these these tough conversations, but necessary conversations. Yeah, absolutely necessary. And I hope they continue to be as enjoyable as this one. So thank you. Bryce, happy season six. Happy New Year. I think more like Happy New Year is the uh, appropriate greeting, isn't it? Starting a new season. It's February. But I think because it's the new season, we can say Happy New Year. Happy New Year and Happy New Season. How about that? Happy New Year, Happy New Season. Season six. I'm not going to pontificate on how far we've come, but six seasons is an awful lot. There are a lot of popular TV shows that didn't even make it six seasons, but here we are. Here we are. And I like alliteration, so season <laughs> six just is very pleasing to my ears. I'm very happy. It sounds wonderful, just like our guest this week, Alex Flint, did, catching up on kind of a preview in the year ahead. You know, I always love talking to Alex. I learn something new every time. He is strategic. He's thoughtful. And I really enjoyed hearing what he um, sees in his crystal ball for the year ahead. So that was a really interesting and fun conversation. Yeah. Instead of just like a quote or maybe two quotes that you oftentimes get with Alex in a new story, got to flesh it out a little bit more and uh, got to let him just uh, expand on what he thinks with the year ahead. So that was uh, that was definitely a treat for me, as I know it was for our listeners. Yes, indeed. And I'm really excited about next week's guest as well. Um, just like with Alex, that was his second time on the show. Um, we have another repeat guest, but with some new things to share. So dear friend of the pod, dear friend of the EcoRight, dear friend of all of us at republicien.org, Katrina Rourke, former employee of 
our fearless leader, Bob Inglis, your former colleague. She is going to come on and talk about some of the latest case studies that the Climate Leadership Council is doing specifically as it relates to climate and trade. So super hot issue. If you heard what Alex said about what might be coming up in the next Congress, then you'll want to dive a little deeper with Katrina next week. Katrina is as awesome as they come. And yes, former colleague in the 4th Congressional District Office of South Carolina, somebody that I really, really enjoyed working with. I'm glad Bob was able to steal her away from Noah and make her our, uh, <laughs> you know, a permanent fixture in the uh, English Fourth District Office. Um, let me give a shout out before we go any further, uh, because I just shouted out Katrina. I'm going to shout out a few new members because this is your first time listening to the podcast. We want you to Sign up and stand with us at republicin.org forward slash join. It takes all of seconds. Uh, if you've never done it before, we would love for you to go and do that right now. Republican.org forward slash join. Again, it does not take any time at all as Judith M in New York, Daniel G in Tennessee, Travis S in Nevada, Viviana V in California, and Jervis G in Georgia have done just oh so recently to sign up and stand with us. So we appreciate them doing that and uh, would be appreciative of any new listeners that we've got starting season six of the podcast with us right now on this episode, episode one, if they would sign up and stand with us. Uh, I'm always happy to hear that we have new um, folks that are following along with us. It's really exciting to grow and so happy to be part of that growth and hopefully attracting some new members with our our podcast here as folks listen. So you can find us at republicen.org. You can join. You can just, you know, float around on our website a little bit, check things out. And if you just found us, uh, you obviously probably found us at Apple Podcasts. Maybe it was Spotify. Maybe it was on our website, republican.org forward slash podcast. But we have a new episode that now comes out every Tuesday. Uh, now that season six is underway, we will have a new episode on Tuesdays for your downloading and listening pleasure. So wherever it is you get your podcasts, just search Eco Right Speaks and you will be able to have it delivered right to your device wherever it is that you listen to your podcast shells but i'm excited to uh, have season six have liftoff here to be back and spend a little time with you each week yes well it's nice to be back in the saddle it was a little rough getting that first one out the gate um but you know we'll be back in the swing of things in no time and um just really looking forward to another robust season Please let us know, listeners, if there's something you would like to hear, drop Chelsea a line. Uh, if you've got any kind of programming needs, events, drop me a line. Just go to our website. All our contact information is right there. You've heard us give it out before. If this is your first time, just go to Republican.org. You can get in touch with us right there with suggestions, anything you want to know, anything that we can help with. But until next week, Chelsea, we will talk to you then. Talk to you then, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.